Well, let me start with Ian. Did you did you like the movie? I love the movie. All right, I like it a lot too. So that was a good podcast. <laughs> Is that how we usually start? And we'll start? Uh, we'll I catch you guys next time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know, I've been I've been calling these uh, introductory things uh, like brief summaries, but I think it's more appropriate to actually call them teasers ah. because they're like a spoiler-free reason of why you should watch the movie. At that least if sense. it sounds interesting. So, should I begin with the teaser? Uh, go for it. The seven-member crew of the Nostromo, a commercial space tug returning to Earth from deep space, awaken from stasis to find that their journey is not yet over. The ship had received a strange signal, possibly a distress signal, originating from a nearby moon, and the crew is required to investigate. As the investigation proceeds, it becomes apparent that the signal may not be one of distress, but a warning. The crew will not leave this planet alone, and what they bring with them is a deadly outsider. An alien. Ooh. <laughs> way to way to thread the title into there Ian. i like it mm-hmm. very creative yep. <laughs> gotta do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh well you know, i want to start with what did you what did you rate the movie what was your hard rating all right i i thought about giving it a nine out of ten. Oh, okay but i've reduced it to an eight out of ten you reduced it to an eight of ten. i know uh i i went with a nine out of ten so i was concerned <laughs> <laughs> Oh, now you're making me feel bad. Yeah, freaking <laughs> being too harsh on Alien over here, dude. It was the 80s. God. It's true. Well, actually, so the reason I took away a point mm-hmm. is not because of how it aged, um, but it was because of the dialogue. Uh, I did not find the dialogue in the movie to be very engaging or very effective in making me uh, connect with the characters mm-hmm. or feel for them. You see, I would agree. I think that largely what we get out of the 80s is that we have a lot of original ideas we have really cool non-cg eye looking monsters and stuff mm-hmm. but they don't have their dialogue is very much just to say like this character is a jerk and like that's all they are really uh this yeah. character is a hard ass and it's just like all right yeah but like and mm-hmm. they don't really exist in a three-dimensional way beyond that yeah and i, and I guess that is somewhat of an age thing but and and I still gave them some credit for it. Um, for for instance, with Parker's character, you know, he's he's supposed to be sort of that hard ass person. Um, you know, he just wants to get his money and go home, right? Mm-hmm. But he also they do show some other elements to his character of you know wanting some sort of vengeance, right? Wanting wanting revenge, wanting uh, um, justice. Yeah, wanting justice uh, for for his fallen comrades. Yeah, spoilers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do think that like they're not the worst of characters. I just think we don't delve too far into their characters beyond Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley. Um, mm-hmm. It's about her, is what it comes down to, and she kind of marks the franchise. She when when there's Sigourney Weaver and there's Alien, you've got you've got a blockbuster movie right there for sure. Um, 
And so she's the character worth developing. Other characters are kind of secondary to that is all. Yeah, which which is fine. Um, that doesn't ruin and I, I And I would have given it a 9 out of 10 if, again, they... they uh, because, again, and, and this may be just a, an artifact of being from the 80s, uh, or I guess it's technically it's 1979 is when it came out, but that's basically 80s. <laughs> um, but she didn't even feel that fleshed out to me. Yeah, no, yeah, even for a main character, she wasn't crazy yeah. fleshed out. Um, one thing I did really, I didn't notice this just like kind of its significance before, mm-hmm. but uh, they're all the ga- like uh, the gathering area is a dinner table, and uh, I thought that was it's just a nice, con- uh, convenient place to have everyone together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from a writing perspective, like having everyone just wake up and then like group up and be like, let's talk. It just felt so contrived. But they do a great job of making it so natural with everyone like sitting around. Everyone's just talking because it's what you do at the table. Yes, um, and they utilize it to great effect as well as we'll talk about later exactly. in the movie. Um, but yeah, and I, I just respect that. And beyond that, I respect so hard how true they are to the kind of horror morality I appreciate. Which I'll delve mm-hmm. more into later as well. Um, but do you wanna you wanna get us started here, Ian? With uh Sure. With things. I've got this first act which I just named the setting. This is uh where essentially we we we'll, we, we uh we develop the settings for uh, the characters, the the soft world building, um where where we where we are, right? Mm-hmm. So we begin with being introduced to the large commercial space tug uh, named the Nostromo and is on its way back to Earth from deep space. It pulls with it a massive refinery that's processing ore on the way back to Earth. Uh, Now just to give some scale, the Nostromo is, and and I just had to look up some dimensions for it, uh, but it's about as big as a large modern container ship. Okay. And then by my best approximation, uh, just from looking at some scenes in the movie, the refinery has got to be at least 20 times that size. <laughs> I dig it. So, I dig it. yeah, it's it's a pretty massive platform. And I guess the idea is that, again, it's a space tug, right? And this, this whole refinery is automated, so it really only needs the seven crew members for the spaceship. And I, I the refinery interests me because the movie is built on they get this weird signal. Like, that's, that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Who was transmitting that signal, do you think? They never address it. They're apparently the first to come across the alien. Um, however, we did see later that the company kind of wanted to bring the alien back. So did they already know about it? Or were they just prepared for if they found something? Well, well, let, let's see. So, um, so yeah, speaking of the, the alien ship that they find, right? Uh, so j- just to get to that. Uh, so so while the Nostromo is only halfway or so through its journey to Earth, the crew is actually awakened prematurely from stasis by the ship's central control system, uh, which is named Mother. The crew is comprised of seven people. So we've got Captain Dallas, Officer Kane, Officer Ripley, Navigator Lambert, uh, Science Officer Ash, and Engineers Parker and Brett. After Captain Dallas consults Mother after they're awakened prematurely, it turns out that the crew was awoken from stasis to investigate a potential distress signal coming from a nearby moon of a gas giant. Though there's some reluctance from Parker, again, he's supposed to be the hard-ass, company policy requires that the crew investigate the signal. Now, I I guess initially we're supposed to think, 
oh, okay, it's policy because, you know, you're supposed to look at distress signals, right, from ships to see if people need saving. Um, and, and, of course, Parker's point at, uh, at this at this stage is he, he really just, you know, he just wants his money. Like, why, yeah. why is it their job, a commercial vessel, to go and save people? And the audience actually doesn't like this, right? <laughs> I'd say generally, because it's like, well, they're people. They might need saving, right? Uh, who knows when the next ship will be able to come along because space travel is obviously slow if you're doing stasis. Um, so, and so we're supposed to think at first that this is company policy to save people, I think. But as you've alluded to, uh, there may be some more, um, some other motivations there. Uh, now, the, the Nostromo sustained some damage on landing on this moon while Captain Dallas, Kane, and Lambert leave to investigate the origin of the signal. The others, namely the engineers Parker and Brett, stay behind to fix the ship. Uh, Ripley also stays behind to investigate and try to decipher the signal further. Uh, the away team finds that the signal is coming from a derelict alien starship, and as they enter, they lose communications with the Nostromo, just as Riley figures out that the signal may be a warning as opposed to distress. Uh, Kane finds these large, leathery eggs uh, within the bowels of the alien starship, and as anyone does, he decides to examine one and touch it a little. <laughs> uh, so it, it opens, and a strange spindly-tailed creature springs out breaks through a space helmet, and attaches itself to his face. Uh, Dallas and Lambert carry came back to Nostromo, and although Ripley initially refuses to let them aboard um, due to quarantine regulations, Ash lets them in anyway. So there's there's our initial setting right there. And you see, I I love that. this that's That's good horror to me, because we have the reluctance of it we have like this is where we went wrong and mm -hmm. i i like being able to reflect on my movie and be like if they just never did that they'd have been fine oh totally um, and it's fair because like if they didn't break that rule like it's supernatural will bother me because it'll be like well if they only hadn't moved into that home so it's like well i mean they just moved into a home what were they supposed yeah, to yeah how but, could they know yeah but like this they they're 100 aware of the protocol they knew everything but they mm -hmm. decided to go through with it and that's just that's being punished for breaking yeah. the rules there it's it's in a, it's in a strange way just it makes sense mm -hmm. that it's and, happening yeah totally and uh and this continues to happen through the movie of where you could look back on it and say if only then right mm -hmm. because i mean we started out uh we already have um you know engineer parker already being like why should we do this this isn't our job right exactly and then and then they go do it and then you know I mean, that they go into the spaceship and this guy goes to investigate the egg when you know he shouldn't, right? If they just left when they found out, oh, hey, this alien's dead, there's nothing to do here, and they just left, again, they're fine. And then right here, when uh, Ripley even brings up the quarantine stuff and Ash lets them in anyways. So, and I think that that is a great element to a movie. And I think that's perfect, especially in horror. You really want the audience to be like, saying no don't do that <laughs> exactly and uh i i love that uh ripley is the one like our main character is the one that doesn't want to do it like she everyone's working against her and she brings up like it was my call on whether or not we let them in mm -hmm. and yeah she was the protocol. senior acting officer exactly because the, one on the, the captain and the secondary officer were away um so yeah i just i appreciate that i think that's some good 
quality horror right there. Totally. And so, yeah, that that's the end of our of our uh, setting act, as I put it. The the next act, Act Two, I'm naming the birth and the hunt. Okay. So Ash attempts to remove this creature from Kane's face, uh, and Kane, of course, is actually still alive during this time. Uh, but Ash his, gives up. He's got his face all hugged. So <laughs> yeah, he's he's got his face hugged, uh, but still alive. Uh, but Ash actually gives up on this removal when he discovers that the blood of this creature is extremely corrosive. And initially when he tries to make an incision in one of its uh, appendages that it's grabbing onto Kane's face with, this, this substance comes out, it's blood, and it melts through like two floors of the ship. So it's extremely corrosive, and it's this creature's defense mechanism. Which, yeah. that blood is, that was a really cool idea, whoever thought of that. Mm-hmm. It makes it, because it, it, the xenomorph at that point isn't invincible, uh, these strange aliens. Um, they can bleed, but like, even going that far is pretty rough on you, which I think yeah. is way cooler than just like, oh, it's impenetrable skin or whatever. Uh, totally. It, it, it's great. Uh, and of course, the, the design of these creatures in general is is amazing, uh, even now. Um, but I mean, you, you just it makes because the it's it's not good if the audience can think of a solution that a crew of starship officers and engineers can't think of. Exactly. But in this case, it it's really difficult for the audience to come up with a solution for this, right? Because if you if you try removing this thing, it might kill Kane because one, we know it's providing him oxygen, right? And and two, it might burn his face off. <laughs> so it, it's an incredibly difficult situation. And I think they do a good job of that throughout the movie, is making it totally. so that the audience can just be like, "We'll just do this." There's, it's pretty common in horror because I think sometimes you just have to live with that. Um, yeah, but it's very impressive when you can avoid the instances of just do this of like feeling yeah, like your characters are stupid. And I never felt that throughout the movie, except totally. with that one crying girl. Cause she just has to stop crying. Right. <laughs> uh, and going back to, to Parker's reluctance, right? The reason why he at the end of the day went through with it is because the company policy dictated they had to do it. Otherwise they won't be paid. Mm. Right. Um, the, the only part thus far in the movie that I can say, don't do that is probably when when Kane looked at the egg and was like, there's something moving inside there. But even then, right, I mean, he's a starship officer. He's curious. I mean, he's not expecting something to jump out, break through his helmet that he has on, and latch onto his face. Yeah, I, I would have looked at it, dude. That's just, that was just yeah. cool. I don't... Yeah, totally. So even that's understandable, even if it's easy to say, don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> Now, uh, with the ship only partially repaired, Dallas and and actually sensors, the sensors on two different floors aren't functioning. Dallas decides to go ahead, take the ship off, and return to the refinery platform, and the crew continues their journey back to Earth. Uh, Shortly after, uh, Kane awakens, and the, the alien creature that was attached to his face had actually detached itself and died. And Kane, uh, apart from some memory loss, appears to be okay. The crew has a friendly get-together in the dining hall uh, and eats a final meal before they'll be returning back to stasis. 
However, out of nowhere, Kane begins choking and convulsing, and as the crew pits him on the table to hold him still, a small and wormy, wormy alien creature bursts from his chest, killing him immediately. And the alien creature quickly slithers away as Ash dissuades the rest of the crew from killing it. So, <laughs> we gotta talk about this scene, obviously, because... It's probably the most impactful in the whole movie. It's definitely the one, the chest burster is what it's called. It's the, uh, it's the kind of flagship scene of the movie. It's the mm-hmm. one you leave that you remember. Um, and there was this fun piece of trivia that one of our audience members pointed out that I remember, I, when they pointed out, I was like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Is that none of the cast knew it was going to happen. They, they were just called into set. Yeah, they're, except they're for except there. for Kane. Oh, yeah, Kane knew. Luckily, that would have been kind of awkward. For you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah, other other reactions were pretty genuine, which I think is cool. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it makes me think like today, I feel like that almost wouldn't fly in production of movies. Maybe it does in some places, but I feel like so many actors would be like, "You can't do that to me. I am an actor. You can't scare me." <laughs> and it's just like, well, that's just like that's just what happens. Like it, I don't know. I feel like it's something that we get to see in these old movies that we don't necessarily get to see today is kind of those almost like kind of pranks working their way into the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. That kind of genuine thing we see from the director and their yeah, decisions. And, and I guess you could say it's almost an extension of the practical effects, like the mm-hmm. practical visual effects, because this is the practical ef- effect of getting a authentic reaction, mm-hmm. just as the other practical effects create a realistic looking creature. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, I think, in in both degrees and today you might not see that uh because it can simply be easier uh to to do it not practically and that's not to say that practically is always the solution but there's something special about it that you can't recreate in a lot of ways and i i 100 agree and you were talking about the effects i love movies that don't use like horror movies that don't use crazy amounts of cgi for all their creatures and stuff Mm -hmm. um it has its place for sure, but I really appreciate these um these old horror movies, Friday the 13th, Alien, Predator, um, that accomplish it all with really cool makeup, really cool, just different techniques of producing it so that it's actually there. It's not some like green screen mm-hmm. that the actors are working with. Um, not to say CGI isn't cool and everything, but this really cool, um, it creates this interesting look that isn't exactly realistic, but we can tell that it's actually present and we can tell that there is something there to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes for really cool, just souvenirs, really cool visuals of the movie. And what I love most about it is to be afraid of it. You have to lean into the movie a little bit. And when you're leaning in, that's when they can scare you. Um, even if right. the effects aren't necessarily as wonderful. Yeah. I mean, just like, uh, like I totally leaned in. I literally leaned in to this movie. <laughs> I leaned forward <laughs> in my chair when I when that when uh, Cam was looking at the alien egg, because I'm like, oh man, it's coming. You know, I just gotta <laughs> submit myself, and it worked. <laughs> that thing is scary as heck. And and yeah, and uh, and also something that it forces you to do with practical effects uh, when you've got this creature that's made practically is to make it look real. You can't show too much of it. Yeah, you've got to make use of. Uh, not having it shown that often, of having, um, of the having the lighting be rather dark and difficult to make out stuff, and one hundred percent, yeah, and and that of course 
goes back to something we've talked about before, which is that something it something becomes more scary as you remove the known. Yeah. You know, you keep it ambiguous, you keep it unknown, and that makes it a lot more terrifying. And uh I remember there were two moments where I kind of giggled a little bit because <laughs> they re- they revealed more of the xenomorph than I really think they not necessarily meant to, but they thought like we can get away with this maybe. Or they really mm-hmm. just acknowledge like we don't have the effects for this. But there's at one point it hops behind some people and towards the end we get to see um all the xenomorph from the back. Oh and yeah. And the, I, I wanna talk I wanna talk about that when we get to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we see we see the xenomorph's legs and it's just you can tell they're just human legs with like black eyes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm just like, huh. So it's alien from the chest up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It it is quite funny when you see the whole thing, and that makes it even more impressive the the scenes where they don't show the whole thing. Exactly, because um, the upper half, like when we when we're not don't have a full body view of it, this thing is terrifying. Um, oh yeah, and it looks pretty darn realistic for the times. Totally, um, like even today, that would be considered impressive. Yep, I'm and, also super impressed with uh, with the with the starship um, equipments and look. Like yes, mm-hmm. it's old computers with ones and zeros like <laughs> on the display, and that's kind of funny. Uh, but it really works. It 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 feels like they're in a spaceship. Yeah, and, and that's really impressive. It's interesting watching that the kind of like sci-fi element from these older movies is because we get the idea of like what their peak convenience was, and to be able to talk to the computer and for it to slowly spit back words at you was just like oh my god. Um, <laughs> this is an AI. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it was like mind blowing, but um, so while it seems like a little silly to us, it's also creates this interesting kind of like ruggedness to the movie that they were definitely going for then, and I think it, it's only amplified now because mm-hmm. the technology is clearly, while it is futuristic, it's also clearly kind of the low end of their world if that makes sense mm-hmm. well, um, and it also makes a completely different world and so it doesn't really have to be related to our technology because mm-hmm. that's not the world we're in it's like, like star wars like, like we can't yeah and it is a little different because of course unlike star wars they do have computers that we know but they're old <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah, I just I like the ruggedness that it gives you. It makes it feel like mm-hmm. they're on like a junker ship rather than this like just crazy futuristic. Yeah. Beam me aboard kind of ship, you know. Yeah, a Star Trek ship. Yeah. You know, it's all clean and white. It's exactly. all industrial and dirty. It just it really contributes to kind of the feel of the movie. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. They, they did a good job with it. Totally. Yeah, if, even now, like if you watch this movie today, I think you can still appreciate it. Oh yeah. It's kept up with the times. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, to to go ahead and continue where I left off. So after after this alien bursts out of his chest, uh, the the crew starts to track the alien down. Um. So they they get some flamethrowers put together because although they're not really sure uh, what the alien is weak to or vulnerable to, they they know that it's very tough and it's it's adapted well to the conditions on the ship. But they think that if they set it on fire, it'll probably work, which I think is pretty good logic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would if I don't know it, setting it on fire 
you know, yeah, it's, it's worth a shot at least. <laughs> yeah, and they 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 note most creatures uh, fear fire and uh, can't can't survive fire. Exactly. So Brett actually ends up following the cruise cat Jones um, because uh, Jones leaps out, and it's it's kind of funny in the movie because it's a semi jump scare, and then at first uh, Brett doesn't even try to catch it until Ripley and Parker tell him that, hey, if you don't catch it, we're going to pick it up again and think it's the alien. So he goes off to find it while Riley and Parker continue looking for the alien. Brett, as he's looking for for Jones, the now fully grown alien attacks him and disappears with his body. After this, and of course before this, the crew assumed that the alien was still its small size. They didn't know that it had uh, it had been able to grow and nourish itself uh, on the ship. And after after a heated discussion, uh, the crew decides, especially Dallas, that the alien must be navigating within the air ducts since they're not seeing it on the ship. So Dallas goes ahead and he enters the air ducts with one of the flamethrowers and he intends to force the alien uh, down one of the uh, one of the ducks and into an airlock so they can uh, get it off the ship. But while in the vents, it manages to ambush him and kill him. And Lambert, at this point, really just wants everyone to just hop on the, the shuttle and uh, abandon the ship. Uh, but Ripley, who's now the commanding officer, uh, says that it only supports four people, and at this point, I think we have five. And she insists that they continue with Dallas's plan of flushing out the alien. Um, up to this point, I want to say the whole jump scare with the cat was genius because yeah. <laughs> it was about to lead us into our first kill by the fully grown alien. And what it does is it creates this humor, and it's the one bit of dialogue that I really appreciated in the movie that like stuck out to me in the movie mm-hmm. was, um. Brett stops Parker from chasing the cat. And he's like, hey, man, it's it's the cat. Um, and Parker is still freaking out. And he finally comes off. And he's like, yeah, it's the cat. And they laugh about it. Um, it felt genuine there. Um, and it was good for a laugh from the audience and from just in the movie. So it reset that kind of like tension point that they were at. Because mm-hmm. they knew they were about to build into a really large moment of tension for the movie. Um, they let it start from zero rather than going from like from a five to tension to like being at that ten in tension. They let it go from zero to ten which was just a great move on their part. Mm-hmm. Absolutely well done. Uh, it's so disappointing when horror movies don't know when to let that suspense, let that tension kind of die down for a moment, because otherwise you're just going to, you're going to drain your audience of that. And yeah, um, it's moments like that that do like a great job of resetting. Uh, that, that, that's a really good point, uh, because this movie does manage tension and suspense really well. You are, you are, uh, really waiting for that alien to to come back and and it's just like like you're saying from zero to ten that's that's exactly what they did um on the the chestburster scene right because you had exactly. everyone together laughing um you know ready to get back home and then you have an alien burst out of someone's chest right that is yeah, that is so zero to ten so i like that you're pointing out that they reset it again after going to that 10 exactly so they you know- can do it again they know how to manage it well, mm-hmm. so good on them. Yeah, for sure. And and also, going back to uh, the practical effects we were talking about earlier, the, the scene where the full-grown alien kills Brett was so impressive to me. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you could not tell. like It, it, it didn't have that humanoid 
silhouette that some other scenes had. It really seemed like the alien, the way that they did their shots, the lighting. It was just, it was so creepy. The way that the alien's tail sort of hung down and um, went around him. Like it was, it was super well done. Exactly. And like, I was thinking on that. It's, we, I can't even exactly tell if the alien's supposed to be standing in that scene or if it's hanging from the ceiling. And yeah. I think it's really up to the audience. And when you leave it up to the audience like that, they're going to insert whichever's scarier for them. Um, right. To have something towering over him like that or to have some creepy thing hanging from, like a bat from the ceiling. What, what's scarier to you? you? I The ceiling was scarier to me. That, if it's that, standing, I, I can knock it down. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's from the ceiling, it's got some kind of high ground on me. It's also, uh, sort of reminds me of almost like the the giant spider in lord of the rings how it, it hangs oh. above you and you and it can kind of like pick you up and tangle you and it's webs like it's just that's really creepy you know that thing was not okay <laughs> hey maybe maybe we should just review that one scene in lord of the rings when Frodo i, I goes can deal with the, the xenomorphs dude but do not give me that spider crap that is it isn't <laughs> yeah maybe we should we should do that at some point you know <laughs> um all right so after they decide, or after Ripley decides, rather, that they're going to continue with this plan, uh, Ripley also accesses Mother, because now that she's the commanding officer, she um, has the privilege to. And and she actually discovers that Ash has secretly been ordered by the company to bring the alien back at all costs, and that means the, that includes that the crew, the entire crew, is considered expendable. It even said on the screen, like, crew is expendable. Yes, like, wow. crew <laughs> is expendable. Um, yeah, they're, they're... They really wanted that point across there. Yeah, and again, at this point, going back to what I said earlier, uh, now you're not so much thinking, like, oh, that's a nice company, you know, saying, hey, you should rescue people when they put out distress signals. Now there's an ulterior motive, and now the company's starting to seem a bit more evil. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she confronts Ash, and... Ash attacks her and starts to choke her to death. And in magazine. Yeah, and, and oh. he's got some immense strength for this small little guy. And and Parker intervenes and starts to club Ash. Um and Lambert might be helping at this point, or maybe she's just screaming. I forget. <laughs> um <laughs> And and actually, as Parker is is clubbing Ash, at first it doesn't really have much effect, which is kind of weird. But then he actually clubs Ash's head off, and it's revealed that he is a robot. He's an um, android, yeah. Yeah, he's an android. And what's interesting is you see while Ripley and Ash are kind of like, um, while they're tussling before Ash pins her down, uh, he's got a white drop of, not blood, but right. I guess what is blood to him and it, it, i like, looks like i remember milk. the first yeah the first time i saw it i was like when did he get milk on it? Like, <laughs> yeah exactly like i guess just, attention to detail just but, drank like, some milk yeah <laughs> um mm-hmm. so it was just like kind of this when you go back and watch it it's fun to see that and actually know what it means yeah and and maybe this is a good time to reveal this but i had actually never seen alien before uh, this and I hadn't really had much spoiled about it, other than Ripley was the only survivor, which is a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> it's a uh, bit of one, but it's not too hard to see coming as well. Yeah, and now I had seen Aliens, uh, which is where I got the spoiler from, and in that uh, movie they had an android, and he was you knew about him, right? And mm-hmm. later in in the movie you had that white liquid, and so coming to this movie knowing that, I did not know Ash was an android. 
But as soon as I saw that white bit of liquid trickle from his mouth, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> Ash is an android. And that was, that was, that was really cool uh, to have that reveal. Just that bit of detail that they added in there that the original audience might not even think. Like, no one would think that means android, right? Exactly. So, so that was that was cool to see. It's it's cool stuff. Um, and so now that we've learned the company's ulterior motives, mm-hmm. um, that they don't really care about the crew. Um, Ash was supposed to bring back this alien at any costs. I want to I want to get into that signal because that signal in the beginning mm-hmm. could be so many things. They they took it as a warning of like don't come here was kind of what they presumed it was. Um. After they found out it probably wasn't a distress signal. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it seems like the company knew that they were going to stumble upon it. Like they, unless they just had this protocol figured out just like beforehand, it seems like they almost planned for them to bring back this alien. Mm-hmm. So I, it comes down to was it a distress call left over um, and the aliens killed them? Was it. Uh, was it bait from the aliens to come over there or was it bait from the company to set it up as if they just stumbled upon it? Yeah. Like that, to what degree of maliciousness is this signal coming from? That's that's a good question. Because one of the one of one of the issues here is that Riley deciphers it into a warning signal. And and that is weird in a couple ways. Because one it's an alien signal, at least we think it is initially. So if it were a warning rather than a distress, it's it's interesting how you're able to tell when it when it's an alien signal between the two. And and that but that also makes it difficult to say that the company planted it there, because then why would they make it a warning? Right? So and, um, see and I don't I don't I need to go back and watch it because I thought she, I thought it was just kind of speculated that it was a warning. I didn't know she deciphered it into a warning. Yeah, I, I think it was ultimately speculation. Um, oh, okay. So, so that that's a good point actually. But I like the idea that the company had something to do with putting it there. Uh, another mm-hmm. option I could see is that the ship mother, right under the direction of the company, is looking for intelligent signals to bring back alien life forms and that is the top priority for the company and so it picks this intelligently seeming signal up and that demands investigation so but i could see it either way i what i like about the signal is i don't know if aliens done this yet i don't know if they've done prequels at all i think they've really only done sequels they build more and more on the world which is awesome but it opens up the opportunity to make a prequel of where that signal comes from. Like a ship that was out there, got the got a message back to home base of like, this is terrible. There are these things out here. Uh, you know, that's a good point because weren't there prequels? Wasn't Prometheus a prequel? And I, I have no idea. I haven't seen enough of them. I think I saw Alien and Aliens and that was it. Yeah. So that might be interesting to come back to that at some point. But I, I think... I would like to go with the theory that the company somehow planted it there because I don't know. I think that really completes the circle for me. I, I think it does really make the company out to be like, yeah, they, like this was, they were kind of almost fated to be there. It was, there was yeah. more maliciousness acting on them than just the aliens. Yeah, so the crew is bait. Too. Yeah. And, and it's interesting as well because 
they actually reactivate Ash, or his head anyway, for a second, uh, just to figure out, you know, what's going on with this. And so it turns out he was actually essentially assigned to make sure that the creature survived. This is why he dissuaded the crew from killing it uh, when it burst out of the guy's chest. Um, this is also why he dissuaded Ripley earlier from going after the crew to tell them that it could be a warning. Uh, and this is also why they let them back in the ship. So at every at every step, uh, Ash has uh, done everything in his power to make sure the alien was on the ship and alive. And he also uh, seems to express admiration for the creature's perfect specimen of, uh, like, it, like its physical specimen and how it thinks. Like, he, he seems to think it's this perfect creature. And, see, that was interesting to me because the debate behind, like, the intel- an intelligent life like Ash is, do they have emotions? And, like, if so, like, are those emotions in line with ours? Do they have, like, inhibitions towards taking life and such? Hmm. Um, and it almost sounds like uh, the xenomorph the alien is, uh, is that, like, kind of robotic mindset of, like, I'm just going to survive. Whatever gets in my way gets in my way, and I'll take care of that. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds almost like Ash has almost a bit of humanity in him that he's just like, this is my flaw, is almost what it speaks to. He's like, my flaw is the humanity that they put into me. Uh, I want to be more like this killer xenomorph creature that's just out to survive. Yeah, it's it's this it's efficient. Yeah, exactly. He loves that. He, he admires the efficiency, which is like classic robot, of course. <laughs> classic robot. Efficiency. Kill all humans. <laughs> Goddamn robot. <laughs> Okay, well, so at this point, we've lost Captain Dallas in the fence. We've lost Kane to the initial alien. We've lost Ash, and we've lost Brett. So now we're just left with Ripley, Lambert, and Parker. So at this point, they actually can use the, sh- the escape shuttle because it has support for four people. So now they can take it. And uh, they... And and they they decide to to go ahead and take it, and they're going to self destruct the Nostromo, take all the uh, the supplies they need, and escape on the shuttle. However, while they're gathering supplies, Parker and Lambert are ambushed and killed by the alien, uh, while they're getting uh, some life support uh, things, I believe. Like I think there's something about coolant or oxygen, some kind of gas. But they were getting some, stuff some kind they of needed. Thing, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so after Ripley hears them die, she goes ahead and she she acts, she initiates the self destruct sequence, which is this complicated process of twisting, pulling, and all these things because I guess you're not supposed to do it on accident. <laughs> and gets the ship self destructing, and she goes to escape on the shuttle, and she actually brings Jones, the cat, with her in a little cage. Mm-hmm. And uh, but she actually finds the alien is between her and the shuttle, so she panics. She tries to cancel the self destruct, but it's too late. And with no further options, she makes her way back to the shuttle and barely escapes as the Nostromo explodes behind her. Um, so she saved the cat. What do you think about that? I I would have. I like. I am. I'm a dog guy, but. <laughs> So, like, the cat is even less worth it. But even if it were a dog, I mean, like, even if it were a freaking, like, 
person. I would like if they're if they're running away and they're just like putting you in danger by doing it. I'm just mm. like enough well, of you. I'm done with you. It's actually really interesting you say that because I think the movie actually made up for that uh, that sort of leap in logic that you'd have to have to risk your life to save a cat. And I think it's when she initially tries to escape the shuttle and she's blocked by the alien. She drops Jones in his crate and runs to go. Uh, and, and that's when she tries to turn off the self-destruct. She then comes back because she has to. And she's like, oh, Jones. And then she brings Jones with her and yeah. runs into the ship. So I think there you see that when it actually came down to it, she left the cat because most like logical people would. Mm -hmm. but because the cat was there she still saved him and i think that's how they got that balance yeah. of they wanted the the character to literally save the cat I, um, and i think that's how they got it so i wasn't annoyed with them anymore. yes because i was okay I, it, it didn't sit with me after the movie like it'll sit with me after the movie i'm like why did you run upstairs to get away yeah the front door you passed the front door um, exactly that yeah. but i wasn't left with that feeling which i appreciate mm -hmm. but like her even just like setting out to go find the cat i was just like this is stupid like just stop. It could <laughs> yes. be anywhere. The cat could be leading you to it. It could be in coordination with the alien. You don't know. Yeah, and you just could you could <laughs> argue that her being distracted by the cat is what got Parker and Lambert killed because she might have been able to run and help with that. Yeah, who knows? Um, now, of course, the issue with that is the way that they uh, sort of made it that the alien could kill Lambert and Parker is because Parker couldn't get a shot on the alien with the flamethrower without getting Lambert, too. Dude, and that's Lambert. Lambert is a character that I think every horror movie has to have because it does reflect the fact that, as tough as we like to think we are, some of us, um, depending on situation, depending on person, are going to freeze up in certain situations. Um, none of, like, no matter how, like, you have to have really intensive training to be able to react to any kind of situation. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and she's a navigator. The, quickly. And yeah, she she isn't trained for like those kind of crazy situations. She's trained to tell you like, "Hey, go here." But, yeah. Um, so I I get that there's going to be times when the person doesn't react. But Lambert throughout this whole movie, dude, she was she was crying. She's just like, "Oh, what do this?" And it's like, "Well, it's happening, Lambert. Deal with it. I don't care." And then like she's sitting there, just like Parker is like. Uh, hey, I'm going to kill this thing. Please move. And she's just like, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm scared. And I'm just like, he's trying to he's trying to save you. Like, just to help him save you. Mm -hmm. And I I get that those characters have to exist, but they always annoy me. And they do their job right because they annoy me, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like they're, they're supposed they, to be pretty annoying. In a way, they're supposed to frustrate you because it's, again, one of the situations where it's, well, if only you did this. <laughs> exactly. Uh and it just it does frustrate me because the if only is if only you weren't freaking stupid. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's I, different. It was like if only you decided to follow the rules 100%. Like, yeah. It's just like, well, it's, guess what? We all don't. Like, <laughs> she, she's just stupid. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess that's why they have to um, justify it with with her character. Right. Breaking down exactly, yeah. in the face of pressure. She's not great with it now. And. So we all would freeze up. She's probably not stupid. She just doesn't like a lot of us. She doesn't know how to react to the situation. Totally. But watching it, man, I'm just like God. Yep. I would. I would just shoot you with the alien. Totally. Because would, it's I not the shoot kind the of alien stupid. Then shoot you. It's not the kind of stupid <laughs> that you know. Oh hey, I'm I'm gonna buy this haunted house that I've heard terrible yeah. stories about, and I'm gonna venture into the basement when I hear a weird noise down there. Like it's not that stupid. 
it's like, uh, and I think that's why, although you get frustrated, it is doing its job rather than yeah. like making you annoyed for like a, yeah, a bad reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess just to go ahead and finish the story out, because there's actually not much more here now that Ripley's Ripley and Jones are the only survivors. Uh, Ripley within the shuttle, she she puts uh, she puts the cat to bed in one of the stasis chambers, which I wonder how that works if it's yeah. if it can also do cats or not. Uh, yeah, I don't know if like the cat would be scared going into it. He's just like, "What's happening? I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. sleepy. <laughs> Why am I being frozen? Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't put know. me back in the sleep box, human, please." Mm-hmm. Um, and so and then Ripley begins to prepare for stasis. It's kind of a I don't know a weird scene. She the way like she takes off her clothes and stuff. It almost feels like the movie's trying to have a sexy scene. Yeah, it I don't, it felt like they were weirdly trying to sexualize her, and I was just yeah. like, why? Um, yeah, it makes a little sense because she ends up putting that gear on. She ends up putting that kind of astronaut gear on, and I'll let you get into that now. Yeah, and and I know that, and again, it, it could be one of those zero to ten things where instead of using humor, they're using, uh, I guess, a sexiness to try to get you to zero again but anyways um so as she as she prepares to to get back in bed for for the long haul uh she actually sees the alien aboard and it appears to be sleeping um and it's wedged itself into one of the narrow spaces of the ship uh so she sneaks back and puts on she she gets into a space suit as quietly as possible she straps herself into one of the chairs and what i believe happens and i might be wrong on this is that she starts uh depressurizing uh the ship so that she can open the airlock um and and of course this is a very loud process lots of gas and everything and and this wakes up the alien and just before it attacks ripley she opens up the airlock and almost blasts the creature into space but it still hangs onto the door, and she has to shoot it with a little harpoon-looking gun uh, and gets it out uh, just as the door closes. Um, now, the door closes around the harpoon, and so the alien is tethered to the shuttle, and it gets pulled into one of the uh, exhaust engines, and so she uh, revs up the engines and disintegrates the alien, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like that yeah. it did... It didn't just float off into space. I thought that was because yeah, that would have been, like been the worst ending. Um, <laughs> just you just see but, like a complete uh, silence. The alien just yeah. like just floats off screen. It it was like a cheer moment. Like yeah, you got him when he did get run yeah. up. Um, yeah, I got what, him. what I want to say is she does it all quietly, but before she depressurizes the cabin, she blasts it with like hot fe- what I presume are like hot fumes. Remember, yeah, it's I was like wondering if that's what it was because yeah, it was screaming. So I guess she at first tried to he- like heat. I, it. I think I guess she just did it because she was just trying to I, like if it was sleep. I don't know if it was sleeping or if it was just like not provoked or something, mm-hmm. but. It, she did want to hurt it before she blasted it out. I don't know if that was like out of like you kill my friends, yeah, suck sure. on hot fumes. But uh, yeah, I, I was I was always curious about that, and I think that the her taking off her clothes, yes, it did help kind of like bring it down to zero tension wise. Because like mm-hmm. when you're taking your clothes off, you're usually in a pretty safe place. Um, either that or you're in a really scary place. It could be either. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but she uh, it's kind of showing she's ready to relax. And I think from a perspective of how are we making what we have work is she did have to hop in the spacesuit after that scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there would have been room if she had all those other clothes on. Um, I don't know if they had a big enough like spacesuit thing for that. Uh, that could be. You know, what is interesting, right, is that she actually says oh, when the shuttle is escaping from the exploding um, Anastromo, uh, that uh, she she says then, you know, I got you, right? Like, like mm-hmm. I got the alien. I did it. That that son of a bitch alien. I got him, right? Uh, but it's interesting because, and I, this might relate again to the managing of suspension and everything, because I think all the audience, since the movie's not over, they know that something still has to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because it's almost like it makes the character relaxed, but the audience is all in suspense because they don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. So I They're thought in that suspense was suspense and like wonderment, yeah. I think mm-hmm. you can get away with like not entirely dropping the tension when you add that kind of like wonderment. Yeah. Kind of like, ooh, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting way of going about it. I'm curious. Why do you think, do you think the alien knew the ship was blowing? Did it have enough understanding to know that it needed to get into the shuttle to survive? That That is like, an interesting plot point, right? Is why did the alien go into the shuttle? Why did, yeah. uh, you know, it kind of makes sense it went to a small crevice in the shuttle because it seems like it wants to generally hide, you know, in vents and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, the best I can say is that it was, it, it might have been to escape the alarms that were happening in the ship because, you know, Probably maybe yeah. the, the whole countdown was going on, alarms were going off, gas was, like, coming out of stuff. Like, it was a very, dang- it, it might have seemed like a very dangerous environment and the alien might have just found its way into a little hidey hole somewhere yeah and i can buy that um and it wasn't anything i was, I was just curious because it's not something i feel cheated on no oddly enough um if you know, it, even it if it's a bad coincidence honestly it, it won't bother exactly me. yeah and it's it, it wasn't anything that hurt my mm-hmm. perception of the movie by any means i was just curious like was it intentional yeah like how, how smart is this alien <laughs> yeah exactly yep um yeah and so yeah i think that's the movie right that is i did want to say because we were talking about the silliness earlier now of course we had the scene earlier with uh with parker and lambert getting killed by the alien it was standing there and it's two two legs yeah it looked two legs but the -hmm. scene i thought looked the silliest was also probably one of the most climactic scenes which is when the aliens floating outside the, the the shuttle and it goes into one of the uh, vents because this is a super well lit scene, and it yeah. means there's no hiding anything, and so you just you basically see a guy in a rubber suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it looked a little silly. Um, yeah, so that looked pretty silly. And I don't know if we're more sensitive to it today because we're used to really I'm, great effects. I'm and sure we are. I'm sure because and I wonder I, yeah. like how it came to across to audiences then, like when it was first made. Like if they thought it was a little silly looking, or if they if it didn't really mean much to them they didn't even notice oh i actually have some inside information on that because my my mom saw this movie when it first came out and she describes it as even when she watches it now it still has nearly the same impact as as it did then or at least it feels nearly just as real because she she sort of sees it through that lens yeah and i I, and, and yeah from 
from that, it seems that when it came out, this movie was terrifying. You didn't, you did not think of the effects at all. Um, you know, they they totally felt so real, uh, mm-hmm. and so that is very interesting, um, especially to to see that from the modern lens. You know, yeah. when we've got uh, the these these wonderful effects in in modern movies. You know, like if you see Interstellar and you compare the scenes of space in that movie to the scenes of space in this movie, there's a huge difference. But for people back then, because they had nothing to compare it to, and I think that's what's important, I think it felt just as real as movies like Interstellar uh, feel today for us. I'd say, yeah, it's 100% true. Um, I'm looking at pictures of Xenomorph uh, now that we've gotten better technology. And usually it's depicted with kind of those... um, I don't know what to call them, but they're more canine-like legs. They have yeah, like, like the sort of you know? backwards. Yeah, the yeah. backwards bending legs. Yeah, um, which is what you would and expect, that's I think that, yeah I think that's the look that's definitely a better look. But I think that for the two parts where we could see its legs were in one, especially where it was dimly lit, it just didn't make sense to give him those crazy legs. Mm-hmm. Um, for the time, anyways, Ian, uh, we don't have much time left. Do you want to open up those surveys? Yeah, I'll open up some some surveys here. Uh, we didn't. It was a bit of a smaller audience today. We had some people that just couldn't make it, mm-hmm. but uh, it was a fun audience, anyways. We ended up playing a drinking game with them, um, <laughs> which got really rough when we realized at just about the end of the movie that we were supposed to be drinking every time we saw the alien. <laughs> um, I, was, I so believe yeah. the rules uh, involve drinking two times every time you saw the alien. Yeah, it was it was rough. Um, so like if you. If you were hanging on then, you weren't hanging on anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so but, so after our audience went through that, they answered these surveys. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, um, <laughs> we'll see if that skews their answers at all. Yep. All right, so so we've got five total responses. And so I, I started the survey off by asking, does the emptiness and darkness of space or the deep ocean scare you? Mm-hmm. And, and this is interesting. This is the same thing as what happened last time with Mother... And of course, everyone said yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And and I, I do get that. I wanted to ask because, of course, I think that that could impact your response to this movie because I know that there are people who are generally terrified, are ge- genuinely terrified of of the ocean, of of the vastness oh, of it and the deepness of it. And I think the same yeah. applies to space for I'm a lot of people. And see, I'm weird because I will gladly go out into space. Like, what scares me more about space is, like, my own system's failures or anything. Mm-hmm. Just, like, being stranded more than what I'm going to encounter out there. Because in the ocean, we are... It's pretty certain that there's stuff that we... I mean, it is certain that there's stuff that we don't know about in the ocean. We just don't know if there's any giant things that want to kill us, necessarily. Right. Um, I, I, I guess, in a way, because there's more unknown in the ocean, it's more mm-hmm. terrifying. Exactly. And it's just... And what scares me is it's right there, um, and I could feasibly get there, and I think that's part of what scares me. That is interesting uh, because you're never gonna like, you know, hey, Elon Musk, cook me up, you know? I'm yeah, exactly. Like in this lifetime, I'll be lucky if I get to go into space for a moment, but mm-hmm. I'm not gonna be like a colonist on Mars. That's probably. fair. So maybe I should uh, differentiate it because uh, I think you're right. I think a lot of people probably do see the deep ocean and the deep space uh, very differently. Yeah, I think it. I think if we ask, if we have one involving one or the other, let's ask: Are you scared more of the ocean, or are you scared more of space? Mm-hmm. Both vast, in, vast, dark entities. 
Yeah, that would be interesting. Maybe we should do uh, some sort of uh, deep sea movie, poor movie next. Yeah, we can totally do well, One that does one. not involve a shark, unless you're doing the original Jaws, because dear God. <laughs> uh, I'm, I think there's a few good ones, but they're definitely like few and far between. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I guess we'll find Thank out. Um, um, but anyway, uh, so moving on to the rating. So I've actually already calculated the average. So out of these, out of these five ratings, we got an average of seven point two. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's all across the board. We've got a five, a six, a seven, an eight, and a ten. <laughs> oh wow! So all That's across right. the board. All right, and then uh, how scary would you rate this movie? Now I think this is totally a result of the time that this movie was made in, because we've got four threes <laughs> and one five. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I I understand that. I think that it was a. Uh, I would say that in the moment I'm more scared. Uh, I feel for the characters more, but it doesn't leave me scared. You know, I don't walk out of my room. And I'm like, oh no, there's an alien in my closet. Exactly, uh, exactly. But I think while watching the movie, I do fear for the characters. It's yes. a different kind of fear. And it's... I I think that's the more important one. I, there's something special about movies that can legitimately make you afraid and lose sleep, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't have to do that. Yeah, I think that it's more important to make us fear for our characters. Totally. That it's going to make it much more appealing of a story, much more personable of a story. Yeah, which is why I think it's so important to somehow get the audience connected to your characters. Yeah. All right, well, uh, then we've got this free response question, which I put as, imagine you're in Ripley's position when asked to let in a dying crewmate who's been attacked by an unknown organism, except this crewmate is your best friend. Do you follow quarantine procedure and wait 24 hours or let them in immediately? Why or why not? Uh, so we got first response, um, which I think is, is uh, the most obvious response, is you got to wait. It's not personal, but it's about the safety of everyone on board. And, and that was Riley's position as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then one person said, wait, I'm not trying to die on the ship and, you know, without, um, without money. <laughs> I think what they're trying to say is if you don't follow company policy, you might lose all your money. <laughs> That's true. They're the, they're the Parker of the situation for sure. But the safe kind of Parker. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then uh, why am I best friends with a dumb bitch who sticks her face in leathery <laughs> alien eggs? <laughs> Dude, I want to say our audience was one audience member said they there's a they look chocolatey and i was like that's wrong that's disgusting never never yeah, describe well, those as her, edible again one of our audience members <laughs> definitely was the kind of person who would stick their head into oh, an yes. alien egg so there you go so maybe if you're that person's best friend <laughs> <laughs> all right um another person says difficult question uh my hypochondria is battling my weakness for emotional appeal a good way to put it i would probably say that i can't make a good decision and put it to someone else's hands if i thought someone else was more clear-headed if if i thought someone else was more clear-headed otherwise i would like to think i would follow quarantine procedure this is this is a good response i i like the fact that you know you're you're removing yourself because you know that you're biased and i think that's i think that's what you would want to see in someone at a um you know at an executive level uh, who is in charge of people's lives, right? You'd like to see that sort of yeah. removal. And I think acknowledging your own subjectivity is bad as subjective as it gets. Um, which is odd, but like 
when you acknowledge you are subjective, so you pass it on, like mm-hmm. that is that's that's how you know you're getting an objective response. All right, I think we got a second response from someone here because they say, okay, I sobered up and I feel bad for calling my best friend a dumb bitch. And I guess I technically wouldn't have known that this was entirely her own fault. So I probably would have let her in initially, but I also very much would have either kept her isolated within the ship or ejected her ass very soon after realizing it couldn't be removed. (laughs) All right, so kind of forgiving the friend a little bit, but also not really. Yeah, Um, I... I appreciate the came. I was. I, I thought like we only had four people. Like, how did? How are there five responses? Yeah. Makes sense now. <laughs> that's funny. And of course, there's two different ratings too. So that's. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, um, overall, yeah, good stuff. It's a movie. If you haven't seen, watch it because it's a classic. Uh, it is good, but yeah. like, it's worth watching because it's definitely we get a lot of horror. Yeah. Uh, origins from it. It's just it's a staple in horror. Yeah, and although I'm sure our scores are probably slightly biased because we know that this is a, this is a, um, I mean, it was rated one of the best movies of all time when it came out, right? And and probably mm. still is rated that highly. Uh, and so it's hard not to be biased with that when you know that this is such a classic, especially in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. But even so, I tried to make my score reflect what I really felt after I watched it yesterday. And and I really do think eight out of ten really reflects it. It was a, I mean, I love space, so they got me there, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it was a really well done movie. You know, I had, it was I had flaws, but uh, they they and did a great job. I do think I do agree. It is annoying to be to take a movie that's a classic and or any kind of piece of work that's a classic and revere it for that reason, mm-hmm. uh, not for its own quality. Uh, I, like I think personally, I don't care for the original Friday the Thirteenth movie. It's a classic and. It, it bores me. And I think it does a lot of people today, but we still revere it because oh, it was wonderful for its time. But today, it doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alien is one that does still hold up today. So I'm impressed. Yes. And, and especially, you know, from my perspective, after having watched Aliens and then coming back to this movie, I mm-hmm. was incredibly surprised at how effective it was and, and how good it was, despite how long ago it was made. Again, especially... Um, I mean, I know that those those starships were miniatures, but dang, they looked good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they did a good job with those. You know, the the interior of the starship. I mean, it looked great. I had no problem with the interior. It looked and it looked very real. They did a great job with it. Um, you know, there's little tiny areas where you can say, "Oh, well, you know, I can see that's old, right?" You know, they they had a cutout yeah. of a screen there because on that miniature, or you know, stuff like that. With or you know, oh, that's just a guy in a rubber suit standing there. But that's only like a few seconds total of the entire movie. Yeah. So no, overall, good stuff. Yeah. So really impressed. Really impressed. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess it's all. Thank you guys for uh, watching. Thank you for listening. And make sure to stop by the next one if you can.